You're listening to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Line. My name's Jack. Today I'm joined, as always, by Aiden and Jake. How are you guys doing today? Hey, Jack. I'm doing good. Uh, obviously, another good weekend for United. I uh, haven't had enough of those recently, but very happy with the win and just happy to be here. Aiden, how are you doing? Very good. A lot of matches flowing through. We've got the Europa League, which is less desirable, but of course, United's in there, unfortunately. And then the Champions League, a lot of good games flowing. So just happy to be watching so many games and just pumping out the schoolwork, because I'm sure you are too, Jake. And yeah, just go on, Jack. Take her away. Yep, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about a bunch of the games today. We'll start off talking about United's result against Newcastle. Uh, obviously, we want to talk a lot about the Merseyside derby because a lot went on there. Uh, we'll talk about the West Ham uh, Spurs game, Arsenal City, Crystal Palace, Brighton, and then we want to talk a little bit about recent events with Aston Villa. But we'll, we'll start off with uh, Manchester United taking on Newcastle this weekend. United coming away with a 3-1 win at Old Trafford. Uh, a, a good win. I, To be honest, I only saw the second half of this one, so I should probably hand it over to you guys. Jake, I'll start with you. Uh, what were your thoughts on the match? Yeah, the, the typical United game. Just a, a slow start, and, and it was it just got better from there, thankfully. But the lineup was kind of interesting. Obviously, um, I don't think we mentioned it last week because we recorded before the game, but United beat Sociedad 4-0. Um, so I, w- I don't know about you, Aiden, but I was kind of expecting to roll with the si- same lineup, uh, which would have been with Dean Henderson in net uh, and Bay in the as in the center back position. But those two came out straight away. Um, Marcel started to over Cavani. Obviously, that wasn't too much of a surprise because I don't think Cavani is 100% fit yet. But it was mostly Dean Henderson and Bay. I kind of feel like they've earned their their chances. I like obviously we've seen Bay play this season, but I don't know what what's going on recently. I, he just picked up a little injury and he hasn't been starting since then. And obviously, we've gone over to his mistakes a little bit. I think Henderson kind of deserves his chance now to to show the club that he can be the number one, especially considering there's reports coming out this week that Solskjaer has told the goalkeepers that only one of them uh, are going to be at the club next season. So that was interesting. But yeah, just a very long-winded way to, to get started here. Uh, good game from United, obviously. Uh, especially in the second half. Rashford's goal in the first half, though, that was it, was it was actually such a great goal. I think he nutmegged uh, a craft or something, and then he came in, cut inside, and put the shot in at the near post. Probably Carl Darlow could have done better, but good finish from Rashford. It was nice, but then the the typical United, uh, um, I don't even know how to describe it, just lackadaisicalness, I guess, off of a, off of a set piece, and uh, St. Maximin just scored. He, he kind of yeah, I don't really want to blame De Gea for the goal. He put it in the, right in the top corner, so it was nice. Um, obviously disappointing to concede from a set piece again, but you know, as a United fan, but you, you kind of get used to it at this point. Uh, and after after playing well midweek against Sociedad, Dan James scoring another goal. I think he's got obviously he doesn't play very much, but he's got six goals in his last six games or something like that. He's got like a he's averaging a goal like every fifty minutes a season because of that, but. He played really well. Uh, it was nice to see him get rewarded. Just put a nice shot in at the near post. And uh, uh, Bruno icing the game with a penalty late on. But overall, it was, it was a deserved win from United, of course. Newcastle kind of caused some problems, and they had a lot of shots in the first half. Uh, but I can't remember too much danger in the second half, obviously. Um, and, yeah, United just really dominated. Like, 72% possession. 
And as we know, these are kind of the opponents that United usually usually struggle against when they sit deep and when they have the possession. But thankfully, United had enough to just break them down the second half and uh, and get the three points to stay in second place. But yeah, hopefully, I've covered everything. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about the game? Yeah, just to answer your question, I wasn't really expecting the same team because it seems like uh, due to Lindelof's back issues on flights in Europe, he never plays. So uh, after that, I was really expecting him to come back uh, during the league match. And same with De Gea, he basically plays almost every league match instead of Henderson. So I was expecting that. I don't know why he doesn't play instead of Lindelof or Maguire, but it seems to be his or Ole's preferred uh, partnership in the league is Lindelof and Maguire uh, without very many exceptions at all and then just another couple points was uh, yeah it was a good performance overall but I would have liked a clean sheet of course against this Newcastle team that doesn't really seem to score too many goals outside of Callum Wilson or some individual magic from uh, St. Maxman so was a little bit disappointed in that like you said a little bit of a letdown after they scored, but I think we're coming to realize that that's the United way at this point is uh, it's not going to be perfect. And there's going to be a lot of defensive slip ups for me. What I just don't understand is how the defense has been that much different from last season where it was one of the better defenses in Europe, but maybe United are just going out to play a little bit more and a little bit more of a high line is getting exploited and, lack of depth and tiredness from players like Aaron Wambasaka that don't get changed too often is, is being exploited, but I can't really answer those questions on the larger scale, but yeah, it was a really good performance and uh, Fernandez with a goal and, and a cheeky little assist, just, just flicking it through there, getting the touch to Dan James. And I'm happy for Dan James. Like you said, um, a lot of goal contributions for the amount of minutes he played and he, he lost his way for a while there, but he's finding his way back and he's a really hard working player who that does the defensive side of the game. He can press well. So it's good to see him getting a goal. Now I'm just looking for uh, Martial and Greenwood to start getting more of their goal contributions. So I wouldn't be surprised if Martial was just put in the lineup against Sociedad tomorrow, just for that reason to get him going and get him firing. But, Happy with the three points. That's really it. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, like I said, I only saw the second half, and it was it was fairly fairly even. There were, there wasn't a lot going on until the Dan James goal. But as soon as United got the second goal, there was literally it was only going to be United who won the game, even if they didn't didn't get the penalty. But um, they just New, Newcastle are they're terrible. I, like you can't they're they're bad. I don't know what else to say. They beat Everton twice, and I'm well aware of that, but just proves that Everton can lose to terrible teams because Newcastle without Callum Wilson and St. Maximin, I don't like they, they'd be last place. They're not good at all. And I'm just looking at the table. I just quickly want to know your thoughts, guys. Uh, Newcastle with the 25 games played are on 25 points full on in 17th as well. Fulham are in 18th, same number of games played. Fulham are only three points behind Newcastle. Uh, just by the end of the season, who who would you say, just without really looking into it too much, I'll come to you first, Jake. Do you think that uh, Brighton or Newcastle or Fulham or Newcastle have a better chance of staying up? I'd probably just go with Newcastle, just based on the players that they have. Um, I know I mentioned it last week too, but Fulham have been better at defending this season. It's just scoring goals have been their problem. But 
it, it's kind of strange. Just I know you said not to go too far in depth, but I just have the table up. So it's weird because Newcastle have three more wins than Fulham, but they they just haven't been drawing as many. And if they don't win, it seems like they lose. So um, I would I would yeah I would expect Fulham just by a little bit, not by too much, because like you mentioned, obviously you guys know I like Newcastle, and I like Steve Bruce, but they're not a good team right now. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them kind of be be in trouble, but. I, I think I'd probably give Fulham the edge now to go down. Um, yeah, and just to, to stick with my preseason predictions, uh, Aiden, what do you think? Newcastle or Fulham? Yeah, I have to disagree with you, uh, Jake, even though I do like Steve Bruce a lot. Uh, just given the trajectories of the two clubs, Fulham have only lost one game in their last seven, and uh, Steve Bruce is under an immense amount of pressure. From what I've heard, he could be out of a job soon enough if this form continues. So I really like how Fulham has defended lately and they're improving a lot. So just based off the trajectory, sorry, I have to go with Fulham. The last game of the Premier League season for those two sides as well, they play each other on the, on May 23rd, Fulham in Newcastle at Craven Cottage. So hopefully it goes right down to the wire. Cause that would be a very, very exciting last fixture of the season. I would, I would say I would agree with you, Aiden. I think that Fulham, they do have Josh Madja now who, he was very good against Everton. I think he missed the other game through through injury. But if they can just – they literally just need to put the ball in the back of the net. They don't have any problems knocking it around. It's just just finishing, and they've I think they've sorted out the defense well enough. But, yeah, it's just the finishing that they need. So, we'll, we'll have to see in, in Newcastle. I just – without Wilson for, for a while and without St. Maxman kind of carrying them, really, I, I don't really see where their goals come from. But – We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I want to move, move on now to a game and a result that I've been waiting 22 years for, literally my whole life. Everton winning 2-0 at Anfield. What a win. I, I don't even know what to say. I still have, we still have to take it in. I think, what are we on? We're on Wednesday, so it's been a couple of days, and I still can't believe we've won. Out of all the times that I've seen Everton just go to Anfield and get absolutely destroyed for 90 minutes, under uh, under like David Moy, Sam Allardyce, Marco Silva, Ronald Koeman, just oh, just terrible. Roberto Martinez, and finally we have a manager who can set up a team, uh, get them organized defensively, and actually have a plan to win the game. But I'll, I'll come to you guys first because I could rant about this game all day. Uh, what what were your thoughts on on the Everton win against Liverpool, Jake? Yeah, I won't say too much. I think I'll let you cover the, the main part of it, but obviously very happy just to see Liverpool lose again. Um, and, yeah, I assume it must have been nice for you the first time in your life that you've seen them beat Liverpool. So I'm not laughing at you, but it must be a big relief now. Obviously, got off to a good start with the Charles, and I think he just – actually, Michael Owen talked about at halftime just how his movement was really, really good. It just it confused Kabak, and he had no idea who to pick up anymore. Um he ran in behind him, so it was nice. Just the ball from Hamas and just put it away in the bottom corner. So that was obviously nice. And then, uh, yeah, just the the penalty, of course. It was it was kind of yeah, it was a weird. Obviously, there was lots of controversy around the penalty. I think the penalty was a little bit a little bit harsh, but I think it it was a penalty. And he's being impeded technically, even if it's an accident or whatever. So if if Calvert Lewin's being impeded, I get, it's still a foul. You have to give a penalty for it. And, and maybe Trent even stuck up his leg towards Calvert-Lewin's after just to make sure he got the foul complete. But, um, yeah, I think uh, – I, I don't think there's there's too much uh, of an issue giving that as a penalty because 
like I just mentioned, if you don't give it, Calvert Lewin go down, goes down there. He just misses a chance to double the lead. So I think it, it was pretty much the right decision. But yeah, Everton played well. Liverpool, obviously, even I'm starting to feel bad for them now with the, the injuries that they're getting. I mean, they've got their three starting center backs now, and they're two two of their midfielders who have been playing center back out injured. So now they've got um, the only fit center backs they have are Nat Phillips, who's not that good, and Kabak, who hasn't adapted, and Ben Davies, who came from Preston, hasn't played a single minute in the Premier League in his career. So it's not an easy spot for them right now. And um, yeah, I'll just. Honestly, I'll just pass it on to Aiden now because I don't I don't have too much to say. I'll, I'll just let you cover the, the main part of it. Aiden, take it away. Yeah, clearly from just a neutral perspective, the the early goal was was massive, and uh, the weight of pass there from Hamas was perfect, and Richarlison slotted at home. Um, yeah, Kabak Richarlison's movement confused him, but I don't really see Kabak as a good defender right now. He's He's, I know he's betting in and he's had to come in a tough situation, but his body shape and, and a lot of uh, decisions he's made early on here for Liverpool have been quite poor, so I'm not convinced by him so far. We'll, we'll see how he, he uh, progresses, but enough of that. It was all about Everton on this day. Uh, no mistakes from the back line. Keane and, and uh, Godfrey were immense back there. Uh, Coleman doing his normal shithousery, asking the ref all the time for stuff. Uh, what he does and, and doing a real job. And I pointed out early to Jacob, he was staying high and kind of blocking off uh, Robertson. So he couldn't play too much. And I think that was a really good tactical decision personally by Ancelotti, whether, whether you guys agree or not, I think he told Coleman to go high and kind of block that space, no diagonal balls into the penalty area from, from Robertson, which is a key kind of tactic to Liverpool employ. So I think that was really good. And whether or not, I think I'm the one that probably doubts his quality the most, but Tom Davies had a good performance in this game, uh, particularly. And uh, Decora, he always gets around the pitch. So there wasn't really too much to fault. And mistake-free, you know who we're looking at, number one, is Jordan Pickford. Uh, no mistakes, some very good saves. So it was just all aces from Everton. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, you touched on quite a few of the performance that, performances that I wanted to touch on for Everton. I don't really well quickly touch on Liverpool. Jake, you said you feel bad for them. Don't know where that's coming from. We, we do not feel bad for them here. We want them to fail. If they finish, if they, if they get relegated, I don't care. We need, them to, we need them to fail here. And with their injuries, this is what I don't understand. Jordan Henderson, I know, I know you want to carry on, and that is, that is not Jordan Henderson's fault that he gets injured like that. It's a muscle injury probably because he's played every single game for the last like five, five seasons. And what I don't understand is that with your injury crisis that you currently are going through, I don't understand why Liverpool even let him go back on the field. So he goes on for like another two minutes and then decides to go off, which probably did not help the injury at all. So I, I think that like, what are, what are they doing allowing these, these players to go back on and get like potentially even more injured, but, for Everton, and I agree with you about Kabak Aiden. He's young, so I'm not really going to – I can't really dig into him too much, but he doesn't look even close to the level. But I think Liverpool paid like $1 million loan fee initially, so he'll, he'll be fine for the rest of the season. But it doesn't look like he's, he's at the level. But, if, if, yeah, if we're, I'd rather just talk about the performances for Everton. Start at back, Jordan Pickford, like you said, Aiden like probably one of the best games if not the best game in an Everton shirt and that's not just based off of some of the saves he was making it was also just 
he seemed like just very, very mature the way he went about things, very calm. Did at, at no point did I think he was being erratic or, or flailing around or anything. And especially with the amount of, of, of pressure on him for this game, I wasn't even sure if he was going to get selected. But when you think of the media narrative from literally since the day Virgil van Dyke got injured, uh, every single game it's it's mentioned that the Van Dyke Pickford incident and you 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 saw the cameras on Van Dyke for literally the whole game. I don't know why he was at the stadium if he's if he's not playing in the team. He's not an essential worker, but that's a different story. But the 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 pressure that was on Pickford to make a mistake and and for you know Liverpool to capitalize on it. I think that he just it was just such a mature performance. It's still in my opinion a lot of Everton fans are like that's the real Jordan Pickford. I, I you have to look at things in isolation. That was one game and that was probably his first very good game of the season, maybe the first game against against Spurs, but definitely his best performance for Everton in in years, but he has to if he does it consistently then I can say okay, maybe maybe he can become the goalie that 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 Everton need but I, I still need more but it, literally for for the one performance winning at Anfield after 22 years he's it, it's a literally it's an iconic performance from him Michael Keane as well Aiden like in the low block I have less to say about Michael Keane because if you put Michael Keane in a low block and just try to cross the ball in like good luck getting around him it's he, he's absolutely incredible made last ditch challenges on Got a couple of blocks in on Firmino. The last-ditch challenge on, on Sadio Mane probably saved the game as well. Just He's just really good. And if you cross the ball, and he's, he's one of the best in the league uh, aerially. And then lastly, I do I want to talk about Tom Davis because, like, like you said, Aiden, it's somebody who we, we've all been critical of. And I've been on here saying he's, he's not at the level and been like one of, the, one of those fans because it's, it's really split. There are a lot of fans to back him. And I definitely was somebody who, you know, you want to do well, but I just genuinely didn't see it. And just this wasn't his first good performance. He's been solid for, for months now. And, and I think I mentioned it before, but the fact that since he's come into the Everton team, I think that, um, like, what would that be? Like 2016, 17, I think he came in when he was 17 or 18 years old. He's 22 now. And it's it's his development has kind of been stunted by so many different managers taking over, and you have to see the managers that that uh, Tom's had to work under, and they're all they're not high level managers, and you see chopping and changing, and them asking him to do different things and not really identifying a specific role. But Ancelotti, like a couple of months ago, said that he sees Tom Davis just sitting in the Allen role just in front of the six and with Allen out of the team through injury he's got the opportunity to actually get a run of games and has done really well just keeping things simple showing a lot of energy showing positional awareness that he did not have before and then composure which is something I really didn't think that he had but it's really really good to see him uh, like grow into the role now even if he's not this world beater which you never know he's still fairly young and at least he's proven that at this point his performances have warranted uh, a place within the squad even if it's a squad player in the future he's obviously he's come through he's an Everton fan and, and every Everton fan wants him to do well and he wants to do well and you know the things about oh, knowing what it means for the club um being completely dedicated with just something you can't really say for a lot of the players who've played for Everton over the last, over the last decade or so really, but just uh, the, the last thing I'll say on Tom, 
it would be that a lot of questions have been asked about Tom, whether or not he can just uh, fill in, in as like just one person in the team when the rest of the team's performing really well. But I thought in this game, it really showed. I thought in the first half, although DeCourie is a really good player, DeCourie was just all over the place giving the ball away. And Andre Gomez is a defensive liability. He was probably the only Everton player who I thought played poorly. He was not good at all, just really poor defensively. And it's a game where Tom Davis, if you needed somebody to step up and perform, I thought that he actually he actually did. And I wasn't sure if he was capable of stepping up when others around him weren't playing well. It's 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 all it's different when everybody in the team is playing really well and there's one player who just has to be okay. But I thought that he actually he actually rose above the other midfielders to really uh, to really dominate the midfield and and hopefully. Hopefully it means that first it means that we we might not have to spend as much money on a defensive midfielder in the future, which is which is always good with the financial fair play situation that Everton are in. But it also gives us different options. Like we know that Allen at Napoli is somebody who wanted to be box to box, and maybe for some games you can have a, a midfield of Allen, Decoury, and Tom Davis. There's a lot of energy in there, and. Uh, it would just it would just allow us to 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 press and just be a little bit more energetic in in certain situations. But just overall, I could talk. I, I we'll try and move on because I could talk about that game, that game all day. But hopefully, the players see it as, and and Ancelotti. Hopefully, the players see it as like a, as a kind of a kickstart to the season to really kick on. See if they can challenge. I still don't think they can get top four, but maybe give some motivation. Even if they got fifth sixth or any of the european places it's a really good season but it's just it's just good to see it's something that's kind of loomed over the club from uh for the fans for the club for for everybody 22 years is embarrassing how how long that is to to go without beating your local rivals at at anfield but hopefully it's it's just something off the club's back and hopefully that they can they can move forward and it's something that just no longer hinders them but yeah just very, very happy with with the result. And, and last thing I'll say for the penalty, I do agree with you, Jake. The it was it was strange. A lot of people were saying like Stonewall penalty um, because he impeded him and blah blah. He didn't intend it. I think first of all, and I know this doesn't really matter and matter in terms of whether it's a penalty or not, but Trent, his defending there, what was he? First of all, he gets completely burned by Calvert Lewin, who comes like past him and just beats him in a foot race. And then Trent goes into slide, and and the shot's already been taken. And then uh, Calvert Lewin like tries to go over him, and the, a lot of people saying he purposely just ran into him. I don't really see that because if he can if he can get around him, it's a tap in. Um, and I agree with you, Jake. It was definitely not the initial contact that caused the penalty he when they showed the replay Trent lifted up his leg and like hooked his his leg back to trip him but either way whether it's a penalty or not it was it was 2-0 and and I'll take a penalty at Anfield all day and Gilfie Sigurdsson as much criticism as every Everton fan gives him including me very composed penalty and I will probably no longer criticize him anymore or any anybody who took part in that game because it's been so long but We'll move on now, and Wait. I'll, I'll let you guys speak. Oh, yeah. Well, we, last thoughts on it, Aiden. Before we move on, I have a question. But yes, I think it's just a perfect storm for Trent. He plays 
high up the pitch. He has very poor position and he's not fast. So it's just like a perfect storm for him not to be good at defending. But given Liverpool's injury crisis, Everton equal on points, game in hand, prediction. Do Everton finish above Liverpool? Yes. Let's go. There we go. Come on. Move on. That's what I wanted to hear. Let's go. That's all. Yeah, that's all. I'm, I'm never going to say yes. Jake, I can't believe you said you feel bad for them. I'm still, I'm yeah, very upset that you said that. You're like, what are you, come on now. I said, oh, oh might God. have to cut that one out, Jake. Jeez. <laughs> we'll move on now. Arsenal taking on Manchester City uh, in a game that started off very quickly with Raheem Sterling scoring a header two feet tall. Raheem Sterling rising above the Arsenal defenders or more more or less just kind of slipping between them and scoring what was actually a really nice header in Manchester City winning 1-0 in a very strange game that they looked dominant early on and then the game just kind of slowed down for the entire 90 minutes and nothing happened. But Aiden, I'll come to you first. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, you're right. It was a beautiful header. Like You wouldn't really expect that from Sterling because he's not – He's not as good as at finishing with his feet. He couldn't even do that with his feet, but put it right in the corner with his head. Beautiful off the cross from Mares. And I heard uh, Andy Townsend during the Champions League game today, and I agree with him talking about City. And he said during the Arsenal game that after they scored, they were dominating and that it almost looked too easy for them. And they kind of fell asleep and let Arsenal back into the game. And I kind of agree with that because if they just kept on the pressure, they probably could have won two or three nil. And Arsenal did get back in the game, but they just didn't really have the cutting thrust. And I don't really think when you still look at the Arsenal lineup that they're able to put out week in, week out, you're relying on a very young player in Saka who has been very brilliant, one of the youngest or one of the best young products in the league right now. But you're not going to be relying on him week in, week out um, to to provide match winning or, or result uh, gaining results from his goals or assists. You can't really rely on that week in and week out. So I think that kind of came to uh, fruition when you have players like El Nani and Jacka holding off the midfield. I think you're just trying to kind of limit the damage at that point against City. I just, I, I think there's just a lack of overall quality in the Arsenal squad. I hate to kind of hate on Arsenal so much, but I just think that there's a lack of real quality in several positions. I think we've talked about on this podcast before, the center backs still aren't good enough. And uh, when Sterling's ghosting in uh, like that for a header, it kind of, it kind of shows, even though it could be a, a fullback problem as well, depending on the communication, which you never really know when you're watching on TV, but El Nani, Xhaka, Pepe, players like that. Uh, if you're playing those players week in, week out, I don't really think you can, expect to be beating a city team who doesn't really concede any goals like you really need an attacking impetus and yeah it wasn't too surprising other than that city didn't get too many goals but I agreed with Andy that they kind of fell asleep after the first goal and then they kind of just cruised from there although they let Arsenal back into the game with the form of their defense this season they're not really going to concede too many what do you guys think yeah you're right just to jump on what you said what Obviously, Andy Townsend said it was a very slow game. Um, a little bit boring, to be honest. Like, But obviously, that happens in every single game. Um, yeah, so to be honest, like, Rob Holding, he should be dropped. If you're losing a, heading, a header to Sterling, come on. There's no way you could be a center back. But um, 
but yeah, obviously holding had to be subbed out too. And uh, this was like the, the Premier League's first ever concussion substitute. So obviously it's uh, pro- probably like a milestone or landmark that no one really wanted to reach. But at least it's good now that they're taking like proper proper measures to, to protect the players. But yeah, um, just back to the actual like gameplay here. City, again, they played without a number nine. Obviously they've been doing that for quite a while now. It seems to be working for them. All their players are kind of getting involved and they're, Obviously, this is the same for many teams, but they're just very fluid moving around the pitch, and they have kind of like freedom to go wherever they want or wherever they see the space. So um, that's obviously I think that's been causing problems for for every single team that they've come up against. To be honest, they've just started blowing teams away. Um, and yeah, just uh, City top of, top of the league by ten points above United. Um, obviously, the the two teams at the beginning of the season they they both got off to a rough start, but I think. Uh, I think all of us pretty much said to to give them time just because of the the late start and the the way that they were still playing into August and, and stuff like that. So I won't get too far into that, but just the, the problem, like Aiden mentioned, just with Arsenal's defenders and midfielders, like I'm there's there's lots of them, like Holding or Pablo Mari or Shaka Elneny, even Bellerin at this point. Like I'm not really sure what they're good at. Um, and, and if they even complement each other, like to, to make the team a, a very effective one, but their, their deficiencies for each other, it is a problem. It's also something that just to go back to United for a very quick second, something that we always mention for Lindelof and Harry Maguire, like they don't complement each other that well. They don't like sweep up for each other because neither of them are, are quick enough or they don't really read the danger like that well. Um, I think that's a big thing for this Arsenal team. Like, I'm not sure if, if Pablo Mari and, like, Rob Holding, like, do they really have an understanding of each other and how each other plays and how to cover cover around for each other? I'm not too sure. And, and same in midfield with Elneny and Shaq, obviously. Um, I haven't watched every single Arsenal game this season, but it seems like the one game where they, they had where they played well was against United when Arsenal won. But other than that, I haven't really seen too much from them. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, Granit Xhaka taking his, his customary yellow card and, yeah, basically Arsenal couldn't really deal with with City's um, formation, just with the fluidity of their players. And obviously, like like we mentioned, City didn't really have to push forward for more. And so, I guess both sides are were kind of not happy to accept the result from Arsenal's point of view. But they didn't really do too much themselves to to turn the result around. But yeah, Jack, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I, I like first of all, it was only one nil, which you can you can praise Arsenal. To a point, so like Everton lost three-one to City, and Manchester City were like even at three-one, were still probably in second gear. They could have they could have easily won the game by probably any number of goals that that they chose if they wanted to. And I think it was kind of similar. Um, but Arsenal did they did a decent job. Like they stayed in the game because if you're one nil, it literally there can be a corner, a free kick, anything, a deflected goal. You're just waiting for one mistake. But unfortunately, this Man City side is so good that sometimes these mistakes aren't going to come in games and for yeah for there's not much to say about man say they are just their squad overall is just so much better than everybody else but for arsenal i think i think that midfield really is a problem they just got besides uh thomas Partey, they don't really have much energy like el Nenny is really slow even he'll run a lot but he's but he, he is really slow Grant jaca gets like like you said Jay, he gets a yellow every game he is good. He's got a very good passing range with the left foot, but he is very slow. And I think that you could probably find more well-rounded and, and athletic players just to allow um, Arsenal to be a little bit more fluid with literally everything that they do. Defensively, 
defensively. I think Gabrielle is a good center back. He's he's a good signing. He's definitely their best defender. Um, Kieran Tierney is good, but there's still there's still so much work to be done. And like Aiden said, you can't rely on Pakayo Saka, who gets better and better every single week, and is he's just a really really good young player. Um, you can't rely on him every single week to carry the whole team. It's not even like he's been inconsistent. It's just you can't you can't expect him to bail out the rest of the team because he's been a lot better than everybody. But even it's against Manchester City. You can't really you can't really analyze any other team. Like Man City is so good this season that it's it's hard. Like the league's already won, so it's literally whoever plays Man City, you kind of you kind of have to l- l- let them off easy. It's not it doesn't really define where they're currently at. It's just more of kind of can see where teams are a little bit weaker and maybe have a little bit more energy in midfield. It makes things a little bit more difficult for Man City. But yeah, overall, there's not, there's not much that Arsenal can do. It still was only 1-0. So on paper, not, not a bad result at all. And again, not a game where Arsenal need to get points to climb up the table. They don't need to be the Manchester Cities. They need to be uh, the teams in and around in and around them in the table. So, yeah, not not the worst result. We need to go back to another really good, uh, maybe very good first half performance and maybe less convincing second half performance because Spurs really came into the game by the end. But another really good result from West Ham who get into fourth in the Premier League table in a Champions League spot and another goal for... Jesse Lingard, who we haven't spoken at all yet, but West Ham, again, doing really well. Mourinho struggling once again. Uh, Aiden, I'll come to you first here. What, what were your thoughts on West Ham and, and Jesse Lingard? And, and again, we'll just, we can quickly touch on Spurs and where we think they're at. Yeah, so West Ham, they were very good, like you say, in the first half, uh, kind of pushing the play. I thought... Spurs were a little bit poor uh, for the start of the game, but you can't really expect a kind of guns a blazing performance from them under under Mourinho. But yeah, to touch on Lingard specifically, he started off a great run of form, and I think something that benefits him is that his movement is very good. He goes all over the front three, and he makes diagonal runs, straight runs, and he's willing to press. So he gets the ball in all sorts of different areas and. He is a physical striker in Antonio. That's kind of a focal point of the attack that he can lay lay balls off to and, and get balls back from and, and stuff like that. And I think the same with Fornells and Bowen. They can all rotate into different positions. Maybe Bowen will stick more strictly to the right and use his left foot to cross. But Fornells and Lingard can definitely rotate. And then they've got a solid base behind um, with Rice and Suchak. And, and Lingard's had a, a, a tough couple of years with his personal problems off the pitch at United and not playing a lot. So it just makes me really happy to see him back and enjoying his football. And I hope he honestly, I hope he makes this move permanent as much as I like him as like a homegrown player. I mean, it's just United coming through with the likes of Paul Pogba. I hope he does make it a permanent move at West Ham or another smaller club like Crystal Palace or something like that, just to get his, his games in and, I'm sure he's enjoying the London life. We know he likes uh, likes to get out there and enjoy himself. So I'm sure he's loving that. And yeah, West Ham, really solid performance. And I think we've talked about it before, but like Craig Dawson must be one of the signings of the season. This guy's absolutely solid at the back. Uh, it's really odd to say because a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have rated him for any team. And he just comes in. He's really, really good. Uh, Cresswell and Kufau 
both really solid fullbacks, but I think the the spine of the team and really the the main emphasis it breaks up play and Suchek drives them forward and Rice can play the passes too. Those two in midfield, Suchek and Rice, are really good and they can hurt you off set pieces. And then um, from Spurs' perspective, just quickly, um, they did come into it once West Ham dropped off and tried to protect the lead. With uh, bringing on Bale, he had some individual runs cutting in and, and trying to start some stuff, cutting in on the left foot and taking shots and kind of uh, jinking runs and stuff like that. But Harry Kane had a couple ciders in the first half, a good save by Fabianski. But I just don't think it's enough. I don't think with the talent of the attack, I don't think it's an, enough playing on the front foot, foot as everyone would say. Um, I've heard rumors that, uh, why they play, why Jose Mourinho plays like this um, with with a deep line for the most part is because he, he doesn't feel they have enough pace at the back and he wanted a center back prioritized with more pace as a summer signing instead of bringing in the likes of Gareth Bale on such a high wage. He would have liked to have used those funds to bring in a pacier center back that could play the ball a bit more, but that's just what I've heard. And it does kind of make sense when you look at the shape every single week. They started off the season well, and then they ended up tying actually 3-3. And ever since that game, he's he's really sat in and uh, just done his typical style. But there's not too much. It's just a roller coaster with Mourinho. And uh, I think the players – I think I mentioned this maybe – six five or six podcasts ago that once the results don't go the way they're supposed to under the system like they beat city earlier in the season using the marine typical Mourinho sit-in tactics but against smaller teams or teams are expected to beat once the results don't go your way I think the players tend to kind of turn on you as a manager and other players that don't play like Dali Alley definitely are not on side at this moment. So I'm not really surprised at how Spurs are going. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head with everything there. Obviously, there's a lot going on with the Spurs. Um, the, we know like they, they always end up playing the same way, and then they always pile on the pressure late just to try and either, you know, nick the win or nick the draw. Or, yeah, yeah, basically that. Um, and they don't they don't really do enough for me in the, in the other, like, 80 to 85 minutes in the game. It's like, they, obviously, we know the way Mourinho plays. It's not a surprise to anyone, but they just try and, like, restrict the opponents from scoring or scoring too many and then just try to give themselves a chance late to win it. But obviously, it's not working uh, very well. <clears throat> and like you mentioned, I had, I had, uh, I had also written down uh, as well that it seems like the 3-3 draw early in the season kind of defines both seasons from the clubs. Like, I think Spurs were first in the league at that point or definitely second, and – um. I think West Ham I got off to like a decent start, but like very inconsistent. And then they've both just like kept going based on that. Like Spurs have just been dropping just like they did in that game. They lost a three goal lead. And West Ham have just been, uh, you know, defying all expectations of them and just rising up the table. They're now in fourth place, obviously. Literally no one would have any complaints about West Ham this season. Um, it's like we just mentioned about Arsenal. I know West Ham probably, well, definitely player for player are, are not as good as Arsenal, but. Uh, like like you mentioned, the, and I mentioned for Arsenal, the players compliment each other on West Ham. Like you mentioned, like that, or not Dyers, sorry, uh, Dawson and Akbon at the back. Uh, they they're pretty much they're, they're solid defenders anyway. Uh, Suchek and Rice playing in midfield. One of them goes up, one stays back. They could do both of them can do both those jobs very well. Um, 
like you mentioned again, Bowen putting the cross in with the left foot. Fornals out wide, Lingard out wide. Sometimes Ben Rama playing in the 10 or out wide. So they've got a lot of movement. They've got a lot of players who can, who can like, vary things up. Um, I was reading an article on The Athletic, and they were talking about West Ham's defensive metrics, and they were either bottom or the highest they got were fourth bottom. So obviously they're a very defensive team by the metrics that were involved in the graphs. Um, but they, they do that really well. They, they all know their jobs and, and they all, they, excuse me, and they dominate in the air as well as seen in the article. They were talking about West Ham's game against Burnley. And I think um, Antonio, uh, Suchek, Declan Rice, and Ogbonna all won four aerial duels in that game. And Craig Dawson won one or two aerial duels in that game. And so it just goes to show, like, not exactly the way that they play the game, but they, they can play that way if they need to. And it just shows how tough they are. Obviously, we know, especially considering it was against Burnley, it's pretty impressive to win those aerial duels, who we know like love to play that that way and that style. But yeah, so um, that that's just a some credit to West Ham. Obviously, not everyone likes to see games being played that way, but uh, if it gets you results, literally you can't complain about it. And West Ham do their jobs very well. And of course, there's a bunch of issues at Spurs right now. Um, obviously, we've got Mourinho's issue with with Dele Alli, who obviously. He scored a bicycle kick today in the Europa League, but he hasn't been seen all season. I think I think the only game he had started this season was against uh, Everton on the opening day. So just that literally tells you everything you need to know. He's not getting his chance or he's not getting enough game time. Obviously, it's been reported he wants to leave like for a very long time now, and really who could blame him? But that's just something still surrounding the club. And uh, obviously, Lamella and, and, and Davinson Sanchez still playing. They aren't cutting it, to be honest. Uh, I, I really like Davinson Sanchez when he was at Ajax, and and at the beginning of his time at Spurs, but at this point, it's clear he's not gonna he's not gonna improve too much and become like this the great center back that they need. Obviously, we saw him last weekend trying to block a no on shot, and he just smashed his face off the turf. It just kind of it was like, like a funny moment, but it just kind of showed the way his career at Spurs has gone. To be honest, and really, Lamella, like there's no way this guy should still be playing for Spurs. He's not good. I don't know what he offers aside from a from a good yellow card here and there, and and yeah, that's about it. I don't think he he's very good. Um, and yeah, just some of the personnel is still not great. Um, with with Dyer at the back, you know, he's had periods last season where he looked really good, and then he's come back down. So people are doubting him. So it's just very there's uncertainty around it, and um, and yeah, there, there's just some players expressing dissatisfaction too with the way training is going and stuff, and that it's not intense enough. I read that as well this week. So all is not rosy, but yeah, that's about it. Just a, a really good win for West Ham and Spurs down in ninth. So. They have to be a little bit worried, but yeah, Jack, what do you think? Yeah, West Ham, they're they're just so so. They are they literally it's 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 old Everton with it with prime David Moyes, like back when Everton had no mind, just defensively organized, and because that is the foundation of the team, they can nick results against like teams who are much better on paper against teams like Spurs. Um, unfortunately for West Ham, I cannot have them keep winning here i cannot have west ham finish above everton that would not be good i i I, as a fan i cannot i can't have that just below just below everton i'll be perfectly happy i just i can't have if everton were to like get fifth or something and west ham got fourth like come on then then you look at those two two uh two losses against newcastle this season and and then and and loss at fulham loss at home against fulham and you really question 
what what we're really doing here. But no, West Ham, in all seriousness, just really, really good. For Spurs, like Aiden mentioned, Mourinho worried about the defense, and that's why they play the low block. I feel like, and this is definitely comes down to Mourinho, with their personnel that they have available, I just feel like if they were to be more offensive or maybe – instead of being so focused on defense, if they were as focused on attack as they were defending, they would outscore almost every team, in my opinion. And then from there, maybe next summer, maybe that's when they recruit the new center backs who have a little bit more pace and allow Spurs to play the high line. But unfortunately, all, all Spurs fans know this and every other fan base knows that Mourinho's not going to change his style. And I don't know how far... He, he's going to take them without changing any of the tactics with uh, with the personnel. But I feel like it's just the, the, the strategy to approaching games just is – it should be the opposite of what it is. It should be focused on attack and you will concede goals. But Mourinho doesn't operate that way. So not good for Spurs. Great stuff for West Ham. Uh, I want to touch on uh, the Crystal Palace-Brighton game in a game that it's the ultimate snatch and grab victory for Crystal Palace who were besides the scoreline and I know I, I don't like the term like deserve to win because whoever scores more goals deserves to win right but in terms of dominance in terms of chances created in terms of absolutely everything Brighton completely dominated the game Crystal Palace with the two really nice goals from Mateta and, and Christian Benteke with a really clinical finish which is something you don't associate with him but Jake, I'll come to you, Jake. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on this one? It was a very, very interesting game. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't watch it. I had something else going on. I think I had a class or something, so I did not watch it. But it, it is funny. Just looking at the stats, uh, I know I'm, I'm always the first one to say the stats can't really tell you everything, but Brighton had 25 shots and, and Crystal Palace had three, and they only had two shots on target. They scored from both of them. Um, and as well, 25% possession. So, I guess, like you said, they, they were clinical anyway. Mateta, I think that's his first goal for Palace and signing uh, from Mainz in January. And, and obviously, Benteke has his first goal in like four years. So, that's that's definitely helpful for them. That is just the 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 worry with Brighton is that they always dominate and, and they they very rarely pick up the points that they deserve. So, it's just a, a little bit worrying from, from their point of view. I don't think they're too far out of the relegation zone. I think they're maybe four or five points out of it. So, um, it I guess they could still be dragged down into it. It's kind of why I had them down there in the beginning of the season because they are a very good team and Potter's a very good coach, especially with the players that he's got there. They're not – I don't want to say they're not top-class players, but you guys know what I mean. Like, they're not sixth to sixth place or above, like, caliber of players, and they're still playing really, really well. But it is just a worry that they can't they can't seem to, to get the points, especially even when they deserve them. So, I don't know, very worried for them. But, yeah. Palace, just uh, like you mentioned, Jack, the, the smash and grab just gets them over the 30-point marker uh, up to 13th place in the table. So they'll, they'll be safe for another season there. And I'm sure they're very delighted with that result, even if it seems that they did not deserve it at all. <laughs> but, yeah, Aiden, I don't know if you watched this one, but what do you think just from the top of it? No, I actually didn't watch this one either, uh, unfortunately. But I just see the stats, and it does look like Jack said the ultimate smash and grab. But all this comment from the Brighton perspective, like you guys are saying, it's uh, kind of how their season has gone on the whole. They deserve more from the game uh, based on how they play. But I just think that's the quality of the squad right now. And if they're able to hold on to players like uh, Basuma and Ben White and Lamptey moving forward, 
Uh, I think they need to add a left back to replace Dan Byrne because he almost gets targeted like every single game. He's not very fast and he's pretty poor. And then uh, perhaps a striker so that Trosara can play on the wing. He wasn't playing on the wing this game. He was playing up front. So another striker. I know Aaron Connolly um, and Mopai, they're hardworking players, but just to, and Danny Welbeck, of course. We can't forget Danny ever, but just uh, scored against Real Madrid in the Champions League. But just a little bit of more quality up there and a Premier League proven striker that can just maybe even a, someone like a Callum Wilson if Newcastle go down, fitting perfectly up front for Brighton. I think that would be uh, really helping them out. A, a left back and a striker and a center mid. But of course, we know it's COVID time. So. Uh, it's hard for me to speculate on the transfer business at this point. And then uh, Crystal Palace, yeah, got, got the win. I mean, I, I didn't watch the game, but it just sounds like the masterclass of Hodgson, just two shots on target, two goals. So g- good for him. He set out to do what he did. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, it's it, it probably the game is best summarized by saying that it's just like Brighton season in, in one game right there, just doing everything except putting the ball in the back of the net. I've seen a lot of like analysts and people saying, can somebody do some research as to what Brighton are doing wrong and how they aren't winning? Cause with all like all the XG statistics and everything, they're like right up there in the Premier League for everything, for all of these offensive metrics in terms of creating chances and they just aren't scoring them. I don't know if it's Connolly and, and Mopai just, not finishing them or like like what type of chances they're creating but apparently like according to the statistics they're high quality chances and they just can't do it and crystal palace just defensively resolute kind of hung on at times in that game but very organized and took their chances when they came and and especially the the first one is like both goals were really nice goals it wasn't like they got a corner and a free kick Mateta's goal was brilliant and Benteke like on the volley geez like you said Jake probably his first goal in like five years he he never scores anymore but really really good goal from from Benteke and important three points from Palace Um, I want to finish off here last thing I want to quickly touch on and I'll come to you Jake to explain it the reason that uh, Jack Grealish was absent in the last Aston Villa game against Leicester this weekend. Just want to quickly, quickly explain what happened there. Yeah, it was definitely a funny situation. We saw um, uh, Grealish got injured uh, in training. I think it was on the Wednesday uh, for the Saturday game uh, for the Sunday morning game. Um, and and yeah, it was just funny. Um, Leicester, I don't think Leicester knew, but there was a way for them to figure out that Grealish wasn't playing before the game started. Uh, because I have the list here. Uh, Aston Villa's physio, their first team performance analyst, uh, Neil Taylor, Matt Target, and Connor Hurahan, they all took out uh, Jack Grealish from their from their FPL team, their their fantasy Premier League team. Um, so, yeah, that, that just kind of created, like, a big discussion over, like, whether players should be allowed to play this and whether there's, like, conflicts of interest and stuff like that. So it was just kind of interesting. It was just a funny way for the, the leak, I guess we could call it, to, to happen. And um, in, in the aftermath, obviously, we saw Aston Villa have banned their players from, from playing the game, which is which is kind of funny. Like we were mentioning before we start recording, I mean, what's to stop them from literally just changing their name and, and then still playing? But I guess that, that doesn't make um, – I guess uh, that doesn't make a difference to them. And, and I, I saw that the, the Premier League were discussing um, uh, banning players from – banning, like, every single player in the league from playing uh, FPL just – because it, it, it's kind of like a slippery slope too because it, it can go 
I don't think it's happening, obviously, but it could go like quite nicely with like match fixing or stuff like that, or like hoping for, you know, let's say you have someone else in your team. It's just you want them to score against you, maybe if you care that much. I don't know. It's just, it's a very weird situation. But yeah, it was definitely funny how the the five Aston Villa players have let out transferred to the show from their team, and it, it just got discovered from there. So yeah, I thought it was it was quite humorous from when from what we saw, but. Obviously, we saw that Aston Villa and the Premier League don't don't see it in the same way. But yeah, that that's what happened there with with Grealish and, and Aston Villa. Yeah, that's that's wild to me. The fact that the the players themselves play fantasy Premier League just really it, it makes me laugh, and it's very strange. I think another one of the problems that would it would have caused, and and I think I've found out through like obviously social media. There's a lot of discussion through through Reddit and. And the and Twitter and stuff and and there's ultimately bots that kind of figured out the patterns of who these who these people were that were close to to the club and it, it just provides another way for the opposition for the uh, for the lineups to come out and just gives an advantage to technically Leicester I guess if if that's who they're playing to to prepare to play against Villa without Grealish. And it's just very strange. I've never seen something like this happen before, but Aiden, what do you have? Yeah, I was just going to say it did give less, I guess it gives lesser an advantage, but I don't think they knew because they tried to employ Pereira as a right midfielder um, to try and stop Grealish going forward because they didn't know. So I guess, yeah, I just in that fact, I guess they didn't know because Normally, they'd use them as a defender, but they were trying to double up on that side, and they didn't even know that. There we go. It's just an absolute master class from Villa. <laughs> it, was, it was all planned all along. Last thing I'll say, um, I don't know if you guys saw, but Klopp, just to bring it back to Everton before we finish, uh, Jurgen Klopp interviewed before the Merseyside Derby. Obviously, Richarlison started up front, and in, in Allen, who is fit, apparently he is fit, didn't start the game it was it was Tom Davis in that position in the inter, in the in the interview before the game the pre-match they asked Klopp about like how uh how they were gonna de- how he was gonna deal with the Everton lineup and Klopp said oh I haven't seen it and then he's like oh I'll just name it uh Calvert-Lewin, James, Allen and then they're like oh well Calvert-Lewin and Allen aren't starting and apparently Klopp's face is like what like he didn't he didn't even know that 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 uh that calvert loon and allen weren't starting he's completely confused and he was like oh carlo poker face and he was just all all rattled it's just just good to see that's strong i want to finish it there everton to liverpool nil at anfield the big result of the weekend uh i won't talk about it anymore but do you guys have anything else to add i just have a question uh to ask you guys after today, Man City looking very immense in the uh, Champions League. Obviously, they're uh, 10 points clear in the Premier League. And they are in the Carabao Cup final against Tottenham. On a scale of one to four, how many trophies are City going to win this season? I think they'll get two. Uh, they'll, get the, they'll get the Premier League and they'll get the Carabao Cup. and Not, not the Champions League that they want. So, yeah, Jack. I think, I think they'll get they'll get everything except the Champions League. The one thing that money can't specifically buy is the one that they can't go at, they they can't get they can't get the Champions League. It's gonna be because Pep, for whatever reason, comes up with some crazy formation that nobody's ever seen before. That's gonna compose of like 
10 strikers and I don't know, he's just going to completely mess up his, his tactics for some, for some game. But I think it's for the champions league, it's between Bayern and, and Man City. I think we, I think we said this at the start of the season that it'd be between like Bayern PSG or, or Man City, but I, I'm going to go with Bayern, but yeah, I think Man City will win everything else. They play against Everton in the next round of, of the cup and they, they're probably going to beat Spurs, but what do you think, Aiden? Yeah, I was going to say three trophies, not the Champions League as well. Uh, same as you. I just thought it was interesting because go. they were mentioning that on the broadcast of the Champions League today. So I just thought it was a very poignant question after how dominant they look without De Bruyne and Aguero again in the starting 11. It is kind of it is kind of sad if you think about it. Like, unless you're a Man City fan, like, you – like – and this isn't a dig at the Manchester City fans, but like, I can't see how anybody else would want Manchester City to win the Champions League or the or like the Premier League. They're so much better than everybody else. Um, obviously, good recruitment and everything, but it's very it's very hard to feel like happy happy for them. I just I don't know. I just I just I hope that they don't win the Champions League. I wish that they didn't win the Premier League. Yeah. But they're obviously so good that they have so much talent. Like. I know I'm just keeping going on like about it, but John Stones is back at his best and he's not playing today again. They just bring Laporte back in with Diaz. It's like they can just keep swapping around nearly every position. So I see three trophies. They can compete on all fronts except Bayern, Alfonso Davies, the Canadian boy, locking it down in the Champions League. There we go. And I, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at OTL Soccer Pod. Uh, and I just want to say thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye, Eric. Bye.